Hi there. Thanks for tuning into our latest episode of Exit This Way. We're so happy to have you here. I'm your host, Mike Desiato. This podcast series is dedicated to helping you, the business owner, successfully exit your business. Join me as I chat with top industry experts and advisors to provide you with the knowledge and tools to become exit ready. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Our topic today is, would your business be able to survive the five Ds? Now, in the exit planning world, the five Ds are divorce, disagreement, distress, and more importantly, death and disability. And today I am honored to have as my guest, John Clytus. John is probably the only person I've met so far that has more credentials after his name than I do. And John has been helping individuals and families achieve their financial goals for over 40 years. Like myself, he's a CPA by background, and he spent over 11 years in public accounting. His last role in public accounting was as South Florida Director of Personal Financial Planning for KPMG, one of the world's largest accounting firms. John also holds the AICPA's Personal Financial Specialist designation, PFS. He's a Certified Financial Planner, CFP. He's a Chartered Financial Consultant, a CHFC. He's a Certified Exit Planning Advisor, a CEPA, like myself. And he also is an accredited estate planner, AEP. John also holds a BS in accounting and MS in taxation from Long Island University and brings additional value to his clients with this background. John joined Synovus in April of 2019 after spending over 20 years with the private wealth, trust, and investment management divisions of two large financial services firms. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here with you, Mike. Thank you. Talking about the five Ds, and I outlined them for you, as you know, because we're both certified exit planning advisors, EPI did some research on this and found that 50% of business transitions are the result of one of those five Ds. 50%, right? Which is quite large when you think about it. And the reason why that's important for business owners is that, as we know, most business owners have 80 to 85% of their net worth tied up in their business which if they don't plan for one of these five Ds, that value can vanish in a flash. That's why, again, I feel it's very important that we talk about this and why it's important. So give me some of your insights into business continuity planning and why you think it's important from your perspective. Sure. For starters, you quoted some stats and there's lots of different statistics out there. The old tried and true one was always less than one out of three businesses survive transition from one generation to the next and less than one in five from one generation, two generations out. Regardless of all of those statistics, and as many of them, they're varied, the bottom line is that a good number of closely held businesses, family businesses, do not have plans and are unprepared to address what you pointed out. The five Ds, death, disability, divorce, disagreement, distress, et cetera. And in many cases, the businesses will terminate. They'll liquidate they won't go on. So Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, when we talk about business continuity planning, there's several dimensions, one of which is, as you and I earlier discussed, how will the family be affected Mm -hmm. if the business couldn't continue? How would the business be affected, the value that was built up in this illiquid asset? And how would the owner's wishes be Mm -hmm. respected in terms of where they wanted to see the ownership in their business has to. So I think to start, the most important aspect is to have a plan 
followed by, if you have a plan, review that plan, and it must be reviewed regularly. I agree with you 100% there, but let's turn our attention now to some of the issues that I think are often overlooked in this planning. Most planning addresses, there's a buy-sell agreement in place, and they address who the business is going to be sold to if something should happen to the owner, right? They, they all generally address that, but they sometimes don't address two other challenges that I see that they don't look at these things and they don't address them. The potential loss of financial capital from the owner, the deceased owner or the disabled owner not being around, specifically the owner's balance sheet. That balance sheet may have been used to guarantee lines of credit, to guarantee bonding lines, and now that owner is no longer around. So planning needs to address that issue, right? And on top of that, there's also the loss of talent. That person may have been very critical to the operation of the business. How do you deal with that? So again, yes, we know the business is going to be sold to this other group of people pursuant to a buy-sell, but oftentimes the owner's personal balance sheet, which was critical to the operation of the business, is not being addressed. It's not there any longer. And also that person's talent, which is not there any longer. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about what kind of solutions, what kind of planning should be used in order to address those two critical needs. Those are great points. And again, as we talk about business continuity planning, let's not forget, and we mentioned the five Ds, disability, mm -hmm. where to your point, the owner is no longer there to provide the services that they were providing. So you do mention working capital needs, the capital capacity, so to speak, that comes to the business by the owner, and as well, the need to replace that talent, and that also is a cost. So some of the solutions do entail different forms of insurance, different types of pre-funding and forethought around who is going to step up from a quality perspective, a qualitative perspective. What is the owner and what has senior leadership done to have management succession plans in place? Are the leaders training those who would step in in their absence? That's probably as critical as the financial aspects of funding, whether it's to bring in an outside CFO, CEO, an interim leader for the organization. Both aspects are critical. The talent aspect that you mentioned and the way to prepare is to be cultivating that talent now. Today, we often talk about exit planning being a present tense, grounded in action type of approach. So that needs to be happening today because I think, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, what can we be doing and should we be doing now today in order to ensure that the business survives in the event that something unplanned were to happen? Right. In our world, in the exit planning world, we talk about trying to make the business less owner dependent, right? So this is another example of why that's important. Typically, we do it because we want to make the business more transferable upon a sale, but also it makes it better able to survive if something were to happen to any key person. So, you know, making sure you do the succession planning that you point out is also a very part, very necessary part of business continuity planning. The other thing I also noticed too, is that even though the buy-sell agreement and you may have insurance for the value of the company, but oftentimes it may not be enough. That number, that funding for the buy-sell, even though you may have gotten a fair market value valuation done and you have that in your buy-sell agreement, having that fully funded doesn't necessarily mean that the departed owner's family 
is going to be taken care of. And you've seen the numbers. I've seen the numbers, right? So I'll just give you a hypothetical situation. Let's assume we have two 50-50 owners, Bob and Dan. Business is worth $5 bucks. They got a valuation done. Takes $375,000 of salary out every year. Their EBITDA is $1 million a year, which the five multiple gives you the $5 million value. And they usually leave most of that money in. And if they take money out, it's only to pay taxes on that income because usually this is a pass-through entity. It's an S-corporation. So there's not a lot of profit distributions other than to pay taxes. And, you know, they have a fully funded buy-sell. Each one would get $2.5 million, right? So let's assume Bob dies and pursuant to the buy-sell agreement, his family gets $2.5 million. And the question that comes up is now, is his family financially secure now with the $2.5 million? What do you think? They are not. And, and that's a perfect example. Let's just say that they could comfortably withdraw 4% from right. that $2.5 million. That would get them $100,000, right. which is $275,000 shy of what they had become accustomed right. to living on. Right. Now, perhaps there's some adjustments there because Bob or Dan are no longer around. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, to your earlier point, buy sales, shareholder agreements need to be kept up to date and reviewed at least annually. Mm -hmm. And they need to be correlated with the major point here, the needs of the family. Because if the business owner passes, part of their goal is to make sure that not only that the business survives, but that their family is able to continue right. on successfully. And in your most appropriate example, that doesn't happen. Right. There's a $275,000 shortfall annually. So again, I always say this is not an advertisement for insurance. We don't sell insurance. But insurance becomes a very valuable tool in this plan. In many right? regards, yes. In many yeah. regards. So what they could have done, what Bob could have done, is looked at and done a financial plan with his financial planner to determine what the income needs would be for his family and would have seen this shortfall and could have bought more life insurance. He could have bought it outside in an islet, an irrevocable life insurance trust outside of his estate to provide that kind of additional income to his family if something were to happen to him. But then sometimes I've seen the question come up where Bob is now no longer insurable. Maybe he's not insurable. So what happens then? So what can be done if Bob is not insurable and you have this funding need. What are your thoughts around that? It comes back to always being prepared. So, for example, it's important to have documented plans, but specifically a business and personal contingency or succession plan. Simply by management, putting advisors in place, and having a written plan with regard to the owner's wishes and desires, the business can continue to run successfully while the process begins to sell the business. Mm -hmm. So if you can't fund it where the co-owners are going to buy each other out, then you're probably going to have to look to sell to a third party. Once again, in your example earlier, you may still wind up falling short. But if you're not going to be able to insure both partners, in this example, Bob and Dan, that may be the only route to go, which is to sell it to a third party. And perhaps those contingencies need to be reviewed now and today to ensure that the personal goals are achieved and fulfilled and the family is protected. Perhaps beginning to prepare for a sale now might also make sense. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts around this as well. If, if Bob is not insurable, I mean, assuming his family gets the two and a half million pursuant to the buy-sell, but he has this income gap, right, because not insurable. 
I've seen companies deal with this through something called a salary continuation plan, where they both agree that if someone were unable to come back to work, that the company will continue to pay the family a certain annual amount each year for 10 or 15 years. And that continues the salary or kind of fills in the gap between the 100 and the, and the 375. It could be 150. It could be some amount they all agree to. But the company will continue to pay that. It's before tax, but it's going to be taxable to them. But that's another way of dealing with this if the guy is not insurable. And the other thought that came to mind, too, is that perhaps instead of selling the remaining 50% to the other owner, perhaps the other owner will buy the company's share from the departing owner's estate, but over time, paying the full value, but paying it over time. But in the meantime, the family will own portions of the company or pieces of the company, and maybe they will be pushing out profit distributions to them as well. So they have additional cash. Yeah. That may be another option. Those may be two other options to dealing with this. Absolutely. And I think there's a multitude of different approaches that can be taken. But as you and I had spoken about earlier, you need to have some plan in place. It does need to be flexible and it needs to be reviewed because if you don't put a plan in place because you don't feel it's perfect, You'll never put one in place. You know, I use the phrase often that perfection is the enemy of progress. You need to get some plan in place that can always be adjusted, amended, reviewed, and changed if that's what's required of changing facts and circumstances. Yeah. All right. So we talked a little bit about death and disability, but now we have the other Ds, right? So let's talk about distress and disagreement. That brings to mind a couple of other unplanned for events. Divorce is one, and then also bankruptcy of the owner, which in my mind is another way of saying distress. What kind of planning should be put in place for a business owner to mitigate the effect of a divorce or a personal bankruptcy to help preserve, make sure the business continues and carries on and doesn't get majorly disrupted? Let's start with divorce. Prenup is probably the most important thing to start with so that you've anticipated Not the divorce, but you've anticipated that contingency Mm -hmm. so that neither, in this case, if you have business owners put in a position where they're now partners with someone that they didn't intend to Mm -hmm. be partners with, where you have Bob, who's now partners with Dan's spouse, which was never intended. His ex-spouse. (laughs) Ex-spouse, soon to be. I'm assuming that they're in the midst of their divorce. But nonetheless, there's nothing better than planning for these contingencies up front, and that's probably one of the first methods that are used in all business owners, all partners have a vested interest in knowing who their partner could potentially be Mm -hmm. in the future. I would start with that when it relates to divorce. As far as distress goes, I think the best example of that more recently is COVID. A lot of businesses came under great distress with regard to whether they're a restaurant who had no customers coming in or other forms of business that had that disruption. Again, having adequate amounts of cash on hand, working capital, and being able to raise from perhaps non-conventional sources to keep things afloat and being thoughtful up front as to how would you scale back operations to reduce needed cash flow, et cetera. Uh, Other than business interruption insurance and things along those lines, there really isn't a lot that can be done other than remaining flexible and nimble and thinking through those contingencies. Yeah. So my thought around bankruptcy and divorce is that in a buy-sell agreement, there can be a provision 
that allows the other owners to buy out the owners who is about to go through a divorce. They have the right to buy his shares from him. Or if he's going bankrupt, they have the right to buy his shares from him so that the shares do not wind up in the hands of an ex-spouse or a creditor. And so you plan for that by putting provisions in your buy-sell so that if that, those events occur, it triggers the opportunity for the other owner to say, okay, I'm going to buy your shares. And therefore, they don't go where you don't want them to go. And, and maybe the money has to go to the ex-spouse or the creditors, but you don't have an unwanted partner. This is what I love about collaborating with fellow CPAs and CPAs. We come up with many different ideas. Well, that's, that's what I've seen. I've seen those provisions in there. And then the other one I've seen too, we'll get to the last D, disagreement, right? What if you just... What if you and I are in business and I just can't get along with you anymore? We just don't see eye to eye. We can't collaborate. We can't work together. What happens then? What, what can be done to deal with that issue? We've been working together for years and now just can't get along. This is a problem and probably one of the more difficult ones. I think this is more of a case-by-case -case type of scenario where perhaps there's a way to partition the business. Perhaps there's a way to have a right of first refusal right. whereby one partner offers and if the other doesn't want to buy their share out, they can flip it around and the other can buy out at that same price. And that seems to be one of the most equitable and practical ways yeah. to go about handling the disagreement aspect of it. That's often called either the Texas shootout yes. provision <laughs> or the nuclear option. Correct. Okay. So yes, I offer to buy you out. And if you refuse, if you don't want it, then you have the right to buy me out for the terms I just offered you. So that kind of helps resolve the issue or we figure out how to maybe get along. <laughs> sure. But it resolves that. Uh, and so we don't go around continuing the fight and bicker. We, we have a provision that allows for that disagreement to be resolved. Either putting that Texas shootout or that nuclear option in the buy-sell agreement is also another way of dealing with disagreement. The other method is to be careful who you go into business with and not run into that well, situation. Listen, it can start off great. Things can deteriorate quite quickly for whatever. So here are some other issues too that I, I thought we'd talk a little bit about in our remaining time here. Let's talk a little bit about valuation formulas and buy-sell agreements. I've seen them, you've seen them. Oftentimes, I find them to be very cookie cutter, very simplistic. Let's talk a little bit about that because that could be for smaller companies, I think that's okay. But if you start getting into a multi-million dollar type of enterprise, I think those simplistic, even though they're easy, they don't require a big valuation. Everyone's afraid of paying for a valuation. But if you do the simplistic values, evaluation methodologies in these agreement, I think you're being a little bit irresponsible. What are your thoughts around? Like most answers to these questions, it depends. And there are many formulas out there, but at the end of the day, we all know that the true value of a company is what value that business will trade for between a willing buyer and a willing seller. So I would always recommend that they provide for two or three qualified business appraisals in that vein, what a willing buyer, willing seller, what formulas go in to those appraisals. It could be a multiple of EBITDA. Oftentimes, it's what they might call recasted EBITDA because for a family business, a closely held business, uh, the true EBITDA isn't always reflective of what the EBITDA would be in a public company or in a non-family business. You've got revenues. Some businesses 
will sell based upon a multiple of revenues. It could be with a legal or accounting practice. Maybe it's one, one and a half times annual revenues. Mm -hmm. That could also come with the requirement to stay on board. Depending upon the nature, if you have a heavily equipment or real estate intensive business, it could be purely the value, the book value or replacement value of that equipment. So it really depends on the nature of the business, but earnings multiples are typically what you're going to see in most buy-sell agreements as a formula. And remember, under the Internal Revenue Code, there are requirements as to what type of valuation method is going to hold up. It has to meet that standard of willing buyer, willing seller, so it can't be egregious so as to artificially depress or inflate the value of the business. So that's what I mean. I mean, you can't just approach it very simplistically and try to go for a very simple formula. There are other considerations that need to be taken into account, such as the IRS's uh, rules around this as it relates to family members, because they don't want you to deflate or undervalue something and try to get away with an undervaluation. Escaping the transfer tax system. Exactly. So there are rules around that. But again, I think you got to look at the situation. And if it's a big company, you ought to get a valuation done, a formal one, pay for it. But at least you have a good sense of what the company is worth uh, and you're not cheating each other. The other thing too that I see, we'll, we'll wind up our discussion on this, is in my experience, there are many times when people do the buy-sell agreement at the very beginning when they start, and then they put it in a drawer and then never revisit it, right? Critical mistake. Critical mistake because the valuation methodology they may put in there, the amount of insurance they buy to fund that valuation, 10 years later, that could be old and cold and totally out of date. And you probably have seen this a lot. Talk to us about why it's important for these things, not only the valuation and the insurance funding, but other provisions to be looked at annually. Let's go through the framework that you started this conversation off with. Number one, it can have a tremendous effect on the ability of the family members, the survivors, to carry on successfully. If there's a depressed valuation and you're having the decedent's interest purchased by the surviving owner, the surviving family members may be left short of what is necessary to meet their needs. So I think that's the number one consideration. Number two, with regard to the business itself, there could be other liquidity constraints that come into existence as a result of an improper valuation. The insurance doesn't provide enough funding to buy out if you have a stock redemption agreement where the company's got to buy out. So it could have effects on the company. And then lastly, just the wishes of the decedent. Were their wishes carried out appropriately? An evaluation can throw that off tremendously, whether or not it's intended to pass to several children equally. Maybe it's just not feasible anymore for everybody to continue on successfully based upon that business trading or being purchased and funded with an inadequate valuation. And the last thing I would mention here, too, it's not so much about the review annually, but I've also noticed that. In many of these buy-sell agreements, they don't address the issue of permanent disability. They talk about death. They talk about if one person wants out, there's a mechanism for me to sell back. But oftentimes they don't address permanent disability, which is a big mistake because you know, if you can't go back to work, that's just as bad as death, right, as, as far as the business is concerned. And the expenses of the person who's become disabled may even be higher than, than they you, were when they were healthy. Correct. 
And I'll say it again, I, I often see permanent disability not addressed. It's death or it's someone leaving or it's this Texas shootout. But permanent disability also needs to be addressed just as seriously and it should be a trigger just like death would be a trigger. Agreed. Yeah. All right, John, been a pleasure. Good talking to you. Thank you for your insights on this. And again, we tell everyone it's great to be moving along, building your business, making it more transferable, working hard, but you have to stop and ask yourself, what if one of these five Ds surfaces, many of which are not even foreseeable, that happen suddenly, like death and disability? Some of the other ones you could see, maybe they're starting to fester. But if you don't have a plan in place, all the stuff that you've done, all the good things that you've done, without planning like this, the value of it could just vanish instantly. So it's very important that along the way you, you consider this as well. Thanks for having me and kudos to you. I love the name of your podcast, Exit This Way. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning into our latest episode of Exit This Way. We hope this conversation has inspired you to start reflecting on your own business journey and the importance of planning for your eventual exit. Hey, do us a quick favor if you can. Please make sure you press subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you'll be reminded when we're back next month. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, we would truly appreciate your support. Please leave us a five-star review so more people can discover us and feel free to share this podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues who may benefit from the insights shared here. Until then, take care and exit this way.